0: Now is the time for men and women of great courage and great vision to engage our church and our culture. Now is the time to dare great things. And here is your host as we dare great things, Father Nathan Cromley, the president
1: and founder of the St. John Institute. Something special about every act of leadership is that it makes us alone. The famous phrase, it is lonely at the top, applies well to leaders in every state. But is this just an accident or is it in fact a blessing? When Mary was chosen by God to be the mother of God, she had to fill a task no one else could fill, but she embraced it as being chosen by God and therefore holding his hand into the great unknown that he would lead her. And so she becomes an example for Christian leaders in every age. Thanks everybody for being with us again and thanks for coming back. I'm really excited about this series because we're talking today again, about the Virgin Mary as the Queen of Leaders. And admittedly, this is a bit of a, of a cheesy title, I think, <laughs> but I just got tired of putting things in Latin, frankly, that no one would understand, okay? But, you know, Regina Ducis is, is a better you know expression here, but unfortunately, no one really knows what that means. So I'm sticking with it, Queen of Leaders, because it's also kind of a gritty title, it tells you exactly what we're trying to say, namely that the Virgin Mary is the example we're going to look to to what it means to lead as a follower of Christ. Now, obviously this demands a little bit of an explanation because I know you guys are, are serious about your businesses. You're serious about your family and your society. You're serious about the practicalities of life. And so you could say to yourselves, well, wh- well, you know, what is a Catholic priest up here talking to us about the Virgin Mary for? You know, we came here to learn leadership and I get it. You know, I'm glad you did come here to learn leadership. That's why I'm talking to you about the Virgin Mary <laughs> because her life very interestingly kind of embodies or encompasses a lot of the principles that you and I have to face every day in our leadership. And I'll tell you when, when it comes down to it, one of the most fundamental things that we struggle with is being motivated to do what we have to do. And that's because we don't feel like it's as purposeful or as intentional as it needs to be to be something that we persevere at even when they go and get stuff. We lack a real sense, honestly, of appropriating the sense of purpose and purposefulness in what we do. And I think that there, the Virgin Mary meets us with an incredible lesson that we can learn from, right? She looked at her life's purpose, which of course was to rear and give to the world the Savior, Jesus Christ, right, as her son, Right? But she looked at that as a call that she had from God. It was something that, in other words, she allowed a, her relationship with God to be at the source of the practical things that she was doing. And this is something very important because, as a priest, of course, I'm working all the time with Christians who divorce their faith life and their work life. And a lot of times it's because of a good motivation. Almost like you say, okay, well, my family life is on the one side, and we're gonna put our faith kind of there. And then our work life or when we go to baseball games or when we vote or when we, you know, participate in school boards or whatever we do in society, there we're gonna be neutral. Because if we're neutral there, we won't offend people, and then if privately we'll practice our faith. Right? Well, what that what that does practically is that it makes every sphere where you do not bring God into the picture, you allow godlessness to be in the picture, right? So I, I'm not saying that we need to be over the top. But I'm definitely not saying we need to be impolite or offensive to people. No, not, not at all. We need to be good citizens and respectful of everybody's position. But to say that we don't have a position at all leaves the, the place open and empty for every other position, to come in and fill that space. In other words, I don't see anti-God positions being bashful about asserting themselves in our society. The way that we view women, the way that we view children, the way that we view the relationships between a man and a woman, a husband and a wife, the values that we take into education and what we say we will teach the students in school. I mean, I mean, all these things, like you, you can't just say, "Well, we're not going to take our faith into those things. I mean, unless you're completely naive, because the moment you say that, you say, I'm neutral. Well, everybody else at that table has an opinion. (laughs) Nobody else seems to be neutral. (laughs) They seem to be really assertive about what their vision for the human person is. I mean, wouldn't it be interesting instead of saying, well, I need to be neutral here to say, well, gosh, why don't I bring into the, the discussion the position that God takes on these issues? I mean, the position of, as a believer in God and as one who reads his word, well, I can assert that forth. No, I'm talking about that in, in, in the example of a context of a social setting. But what if we did that in work? Like in other words, what if we said, hey, this company that I'm working for is open to me working like a Christian. That doesn't mean well, proclaiming Christ by name in the workplace or converting people. No, no, no. But it means taking the full values of what I really believe in into the workplace of acceptance, of encouragement, of development of people, of outreach to the underserved, of fairness and price, of treating my customer, well, with the respect that's their due as a human being and not using people. I mean, we take these things for granted saying, well, that's just common sense. And I'm like, no, that's Christian sense. And if we let go of Christianity, I'm not quite sure how long those other values are going to stay. I mean, what's going to guarantee great customer service and, and, and the treatment of other, every customer with respect and dignity if the workers that we have working for us aren't taught and don't know about respect and dignity? Maybe they come from situations where the whole relationship between individuals has been redefined in terms that are completely different from the perspective that we've learned from God about respect and loving for each other. Well, your customer service is going to change radically. The way that they treat their bosses, the way your bosses treat their employees, it's going to change completely. The values we bring into the workplace dictate the culture of the workplace. And if those values change, the culture will change. Well, I'm like to say, why don't we keep that culture one that's in accord with the beautiful vision of the human person that Jesus and God teach us. When we do that, Now the workplace is a place, well, that's, that's friendly and open and dedicated and healthy and thriving because that's the way that God made us to lead. But you see, to do that, well, you've got to lead that way, (laughs) which brings us back to the very beginning, right? Why is it that you want to lead? Do you believe that your leadership is a gift that God wants to give to the world? I think the most people that that come to our seminars, they they enter the room not really believing that. My goal is that everyone who leaves this room has it deep in your hearts. God wants to bless the world through you. I don't think our biggest problem is on the outside. I don't think that the challenges that we face every day in our companies, and our organizations, and our families are really the problem. I think the biggest problem is that we don't really believe that we can do anything about it. Right? We question fundamentally our own value. We're not quite sure that God knew what he was doing when he gave us children or when he gave us a spouse or when he gave us a job. Right? And so consequently, we minimize things. We minimize ourselves. We minimize our impact because we're bashful. And, and that can be a wonderful thing to be, to be humble. But it's never good, on the other hand, to limit what God wants to do because of our own judgment of our life. And that's where the example of the Virgin Mary comes in. You see, with Mary, she let God define her life. Literally, literally, she let God tell her that she could do something that was absolutely impossible for her to do. <laughs> and she said, let it be done unto me. And at that moment, everything in Mary had to be dependent upon God to produce this blessing that Mary wanted God to produce in the world. And she got out of the way. She was humble enough to let God do great things through her, right? She was humble enough to lead. And that is something each one of us, if we could take a hold of that in our own life, could you only imagine the miracles that God would perform and the great things that he would do in our world? Well, I guess I can, which is why I'm here with you. I want to see that happen.
0: Are you a young adult between the ages of 22 and 35 and wondering what God is calling you to do next? Do you have a desire or vision that you just can't seem to complete? Then come to the Rise Above Retreat, June 25th through July 1st at the St. John Institute in Denver, Colorado. For more information, Visit www.DearGreatThings.org slash rise above.
1: So to be a leader in the footsteps of Christ is not an easy thing at all. It means that we're kind of a bridge because on the one hand we're following and on the other hand we're leading. We're following Christ, which means that we end up leading the world. And that's why we look for an example of someone else who's done that. We find, of course, the best example there in the Virgin Mary who followed Christ, was completely for him, and therefore had an impact in the world. And, and when we look at her particular life, the foundation of it all is the key, right? Because everything, just like, just like for all of us, the foundation of our choice to engage in towards an end goal is, is, is capital for our ability to arrive at that end goal. If, I, if I'm not properly motivated, the difficulties that are gonna come my way the price that I'm going to have to pay, all, all of the, 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 the losses that will, I'll have to endure, well, they'll overwhelm me and I'll stop. To lead and to persevere from point A to point B, I need to start the whole endeavor for, with the correct motivation. And this is where Mary is a great example for us. What was her motivation? Why did she do everything that she did? And when you go back and you look at the key moment in Luke chapter one, when the angel Gabriel comes to Mary, he reveals to her that she's been chosen by God for this mission. And Mary assents to God's choice over her life. She says yes to God's plan for her life. Now, the reason why this is so powerful is because at that moment, Mary is following in, a plan, in the footsteps of a plan that god has for her which means that foundationally the real agent in this whole scenario is god god is the one who has a plan god is the one who wants to do something and he's asked mary if she'll let him accomplish his plan through her which means all of the strength is in god right and all of the, the 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 ability to endure it's in god mary has to simply say yes And then, of course, pay the price and do what she has to do and sacrifice her life in in pursuit of that. But she's carried by someone bigger than her, right? This is very important for all of us in our leadership. I can understand how people who don't have faith have a perspective of leadership that's that's their own, okay? And, And it's not that it's wrong. It could be fine. But the Christian perspective of leadership is really beautiful. And let me just, I mean, what it means is that I, I've been summoned by God to give the best of who I am to the world so that through me, God can bless the world like that. That's, that opens our perspective to a whole different level. Like I'm not encapsulated in the, my own vision of the world and my own understanding of myself. I belong to this wonderful mystery, really, which is, you know, the plan of God and the power of God to do great things in this world. And I've been chosen by God to play a role in that. And so the real protagonist is God. The one who's doing things is God. And he's asking me to open myself to be an instrument by doing things with him, right? By opening my talents to be, to, to carry his, right? In my presence, to bring his and, and my service to render his effects. But following in Mary's perspective really helps us to do this because by, by her understanding that she's been chosen by God for God to fulfill his will through her and with her, therefore, right? She associates herself with that motion. She, she's able to, to gain a, a strength in the service that I think is, is powerful for all of us. What if I looked at my life in the same perspective? That's what I I want you to do. Like, what if you saw your role in your family, with your spouse, in your job, right, as a call by God? Again, this this requires faith because there's no evidence for that. There's no proof of that. I know, but let's just imagine for a moment, if it could be true, what it would look like inside your heart. I think a lot of the problems in today's spirituality is that our our workers and 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 the agents who are pushing our society forward are very lonely. I mean, we we really, in the end, don't know if we're loved, and we we don't have a real relationship of deep love with God. Uh, We we kind of put our heads down, and we went to great schools, and we got great educations, and now we're out there trying to do things and keep the family running, and food on the table, and have some friendships on the sides, and. At the greatest, you know, high point, maybe have a couple hobbies while we do our job. And I think that that's like, of course, not bad, but at the same time, there's something so much more to, to, to lay hold of a deeper understanding that my name is spoken by God as a summons, a summons to become a gift in the world that no one else can give. Uh, and 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 this is where i'd like for you to to kind of put aside all the baggage that you have and all the the negativity about yourselves and just listen to this word of hope right god loves you as if you were the only one and and he if he if he if you were the only person on earth he would have died for you now now to believe that if you started to believe that and you and you moved in that direction you'd understand what was happening inside of the virgin mary because she had to believe that, I mean, like of all the great women that were in her family and all of the people she looked up to in the world, why is it that God would be coming to her, right? She could have hid and said, God, I am nothing. I I don't deserve this. And of course she is nothing and she didn't deserve this. That's not the point. (laughs) The point is that God decided to call her and Mary allowed the call to happen, right? She got out of the way of the desires of God to accomplish something through her. And she followed that call and, and, and accomplished great things with God. I mean, the great things she accomplished? Well, I mean, you can't really argue with it. Her, her child did kind of turn out, <laughs> turn out to be just fine. He was the Messiah and the King of the world. Right? Well, well, Mary allowed God to do that and she consented to it from the inside and she did it with him. And you got to say, well, how did she do that? And she was so humble that she let God say that he loved her. And she believed that he loved her. She let God call her and she consented to his call, right? She let God say, you are the highly blessed, highly favored. You should rejoice. And she did we know this because she goes forth from here to the Magnificat where she proclaims that my soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. For he has looked with favor on his lowly servant. All generations will call me blessed. <laughs> like, wouldn't it be amazing? Now, are you able to say that? Those who are, are able to lead with a unique power and influence. And that's what we want to see. And, and those who aren't, I'd like to encourage you. Today is your day of rejoicing. God loves you and has called you for his great plan would you like to start your thursday mornings
0: with a scriptural leadership lesson join the saint john leadership network where father nathan hosts a 30-minute call at 6 30 a.m in all four u.s time zones to learn more go to wwwsaintjohnleadershipnetworkorg
1: member and join for free today We looked at at God's call for Mary and Mary's consent to that, like allowing God to define her, herself, and who she was, and then acting in God's vision of herself and not in her own vision of herself, right? That's the enunciation. That's the incredible shift that this represents. But you know, I can already hear what you're thinking, right? You're saying to yourself, this is ridiculous because it's so hard. I mean, the fact, like, you know, how do you know when you look at at who you are, how you normally live, the parameters of your life, it's really hard to be convinced that you're called to do great things. I mean, we just look at our own sinfulness, for example, or, or the brokenness in our relationships that can take place or, or, you know, I mean, even the way that we might not even be God's greatest gift in the workplace. You know, I mean, you think you are when you're 24. And then when you hit 44, you kind of just hope that you can get to retirement <laughs> because you know, in fact, the older that we get, the longer that we live, most of the time, the more convinced we are of, of our faults and failings. And the easier it becomes for us to to just call into question that noble kind of romantic vision of Christianity and content ourselves with a much more modest proposal. You know, for, for example, we say, let's just, let me just coast into home here, enjoy a few nice vacations with my family, and hopefully get to heaven, and that, that'll be enough for me. And I can understand that. And and that might even be rooted in a lot of genuine humility and and goodness. It's just that when I look at the Virgin Mary there as an example, I'm, I'm amazed because she didn't do that. I mean, on the one hand, she had a very normal life. You could even say a very humble life. Absolutely. And yet God did things through her, her whole life long that, that were fruitful and beautiful for the church. I mean, from mothering St. John, and of course, in the Catholic tradition anyway, we look at that as her mothering all the disciples, uh, to her praying with the apostles. She didn't give up on the church. She was present there in their midst, at least in Acts chapter two, she was there at Pentecost. And and, and so you, you have this kind of silent presence of Mary with the apostles. Uh, she continued to follow in the call of God, even when it didn't necessarily seem that things were going well. And when you look at that, that's actually something Christians always have to have done. I'm thinking of Simon Peter in in Acts chapter eight. When you look at the life of the early church, everything was going great. And he was expanding and the church was gaining structure and deacons were being ordained to take care of people. And then suddenly in Acts chapter eight, out of the blue, St. Paul, or at the time, Saul of Tarsus, begins to persecute the church so viciously That Christians are scattered and have to go from all different parts, you know, out. And they lose their homes and they have people being put into prison. And St. Peter has to continue to move forward despite what he sees. Based upon the vision that he knows that God has for his church, he has to walk in faith. St. Paul has to do the same thing. He's going around the Mediterranean, getting rejected, getting, you know, riots forming around him, being expelled from places, having to be lowered out of windows, you know, and lowered over city walls and baskets, you know, having death threats against his life. And you'd say, Paul, just give up, you know. But Paul's, no, I've been sent by Christ to do something, to, to live in the present as if I saw the invisible right? To live in the visible disaster as if I saw the invisible plan of God unfolding. Well, I think both Peter and Paul, they're they're examples of something that we see rooted in the heart of Mary. When, When she says yes to God's word, she says, let it be done unto me according to your word. Now that's very important, the way that it's said. It might be seen as technical, but if you really look at that, she didn't say, yes, I understand. Or she didn't say, let it be done unto me according to what I've understood. You know, she didn't say, redefine your terms and I'm going to now tell you what I've understood from you. No, she gave God a blank check. Literally, be it done unto me as you intend it to be done. Right, so therefore, Mary's trust in God was independent of her own ability to define the scope of What he was asking for from her on the one hand what he said was simple you will conceive and bear a son And yet on the other hand all that was con- Contained in that was much greater and more than simply conceiving and bearing a son I mean because when she conceived and bore the son of god In her, in the flesh She had to also conceive and bear him in her heart and conceive and bear him with everything that she had, she ended up becoming the mother of God, not just in a physical birthing process, but in the gift of herself to him, which means that the angel was asking her to associate her whole life with the mission of that child. And of course, this is exactly what she did, right? But like my point is that Mary walked in faith and you have to walk in faith too. That's the, the message here, right? When it comes to walking in faith it means it's beyond what you see and understand and beyond what you're able to define. You literally are, are going with the vision as God says it in, independently of how you are able to judge it. Now, I, that's, that doesn't preclude the use of our prudence. It doesn't preclude, you know, I'm not saying that in, in, in the individual cases of our life or how we apply it. It just means that our prudence and our judgment is not the final word. Our prudence and our judgment might say, my business is going down, I better find a remedy for it. And yes, you need to do that. But my business going down and meaning to find a remedy for it doesn't mean that I'm failing. Why, you see what I mean? Like because, well, in the end, I'm following God into this business. And therefore I'm following God into this difficulty. And God has got this in his hand. I believe irrevocably in God's choice of me as his leader. And therefore, even if I have to pivot and change in a radical way, well, well, I'm going to do so and I'm going to find the best way forward. You know, there's a practical example of this in U.S. history. There's um, an American Indian, a Comanche, whose name was Kwana Parker. I don't know whether or not you've heard of him before, but he's an astounding figure. And he was the last of the most radical of the of the violent bands of the Comanches, uh, the, the Kohadis uh, uh, band. And when he was you know, finally subdued uh, by the U.S. cavalry and brought into Fort Sill, Oklahoma and put on the reservation, most of the other uh, members of his tribe fell into grave depression and, and resisted everything. And Quana Parker simply decided to make the best of the situation and to adapt to the ways of the American society to the, you know, to the degree that they needed to and to succeed. And he became a wealthy, successful person who then used his wealth and his success to benefit those of his own tribe. Now, why am I using him in his example? Because he's a marvelous example of someone who never stopped because he was convinced that he had the destiny to lead. Now that's from a very secular or certainly a non-Christian perspective. How much more for Christians? To say that whatever's coming my way, I'm not going to allow my own judgment to, or the judgment of the world to define me. I walk in faith like the Virgin Mary. She who said, be it done unto me according to thy word, allowed herself the perspective of trusting in God no matter what. Even if it would lead her where it did lead her, to the cross, and to losing her son on the cross, and to real suffering. She knew that there was a deeper plan that she was a part of. Well, you also are part of a deeper plan. You are called and summoned for great things. God has a plan that's beautiful for your life, and he wants to bless the world through you. Let him
0: dare great things for Christ. Share your feedback with Father Nathan. Send us an email at communications at saintjohninstitute.org. That's communications at saintjohninstitute.org. And visit www.stjohninstitute.org and sign up for our newsletter to receive updates from Father Nathan.